Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. And everything has been singing to me lately from outside. The house finches in the morning having returned. The coyotes by night. something to think about next time you see some desert wildlife on the trail or on the road most of what we consider desert wildlife is just North American wildlife bobcats, rattlesnakes red tail hawks the cougars we call mountain lions all North American wildlife Mule deer and bighorn sheep are common Western North American species. Somewhere along the way, as we carved up and paved over and intensively farmed and fracked the country, the desert wilderness became a refuge, a last refuge. Especially from the viewpoint of people living in the big suburbs and cities of the West. You go out to the desert, you might see some living creatures besides people. And pigeons. Of course, we have some unique creatures here in the deserts. In the Mojave, we've got our own special double toxin pit viper, the Mojave green rattlesnake, for one. the immortal 90-year-old golf champions of Palm Desert, the Thunderbird Country Club, who live solely off rare steaks and cocktails. It's incredible. And let's not forget the little-loved instant rednecks, as Ed Abbey used to call them. Straight from San Diego or Seattle, fully costumed in vintage cowboy boots, vintage blue jeans, a vintage straw hat, and nine or ten faded bandanas, the natural attire provided by Etsy or Depop or some such online shop. There was a funny bit of wildlife research in the news a few weeks back. It shows up in the news every year or two. But somehow the story never sticks. It turns out there are no alpha males or alpha females in wolf packs. That whole thing was based on some wolves in a captive domestic situation where they were all miserable and insane. And there was one great bully who had probably been half-poisoned or was crossbred with Joe Biden's line of German police dogs 
So no alpha males after all. All those Reddit threads and Proud Boys meetups for nothing. According to wildlife ecologist Barbara Zimmerman of the Norway University of Applied Sciences, the alpha wolf idea is, quote, not a concept that works for wolves in the wild. Like their very close cousins, the coyotes, most wolf packs are just the parents and their offspring, from pups to young adults up to about three years old. Says Barbara Zimmerman, the adults are simply in charge because they are the parents of the rest of the pack members. We don't talk about the alpha male, the alpha female, and the beta child in a human family. I mean, people probably do, but... We talk about a lot of things. When wolves leave their family, their pack is to find a mate outside their usual crowd. So where did the alpha wolf nonsense come from? Originally, from Rudolf Schinkel, who studied captive wolves at the Basel Zoo in Switzerland where up to 10 wolves were kept pinned up together with the enclosure about the size of a studio apartment. No wonder they went crazy. But even back in 1947, when Schenkel published his wolf studies, he made a point of mentioning that his control group was captive. And, quote, it was possible that wild wolf packs consisted of a monogamous pair their puppies and one to two year old pups. But this information was overlooked. Overlooked for 70 years at this point. And it was amplified in 1970 by David Mech, who used all that alpha, beta, wolf lingo and for decades after begged his publisher to update his book because the alpha wolf stuff was all wrong. So now we've got all these guys spending all their time at the gym lifting barbells or whatever so they can be the alpha male in line at the Walmart and it's not even applicable to wild wolves, let alone humans. Wild wolves, it turns out, make families in the usual way common to canine and human both. Two parents, children of various ages, occasional disputes. And one thing about wolves is they never ever go to the gym. Let's talk about some of God's creatures, great and small, who've never been to a 24-hour fitness center and never spent years trying to stop the auto payments off the credit card for a gym they lived nearby years ago. Uh, Along with the wolves, 
And the cougars and the coyotes, the black-tailed mule deer and the red-tailed hawks. Roadrunners, of course. And gopher snakes. The aforementioned bobcats and bighorn, all at the apex of what you'd call physical fitness. Lean and fast and mostly spending their energy wisely. The way it was intended, resting, sleeping, dreaming and dozing. just our animal friends, of course. John Muir was done in by pneumonia in his late 70s, but he was a constant walker and backcountry dreamer till the end. Never did a free month trial at LA Fitness. And you can say the same with full authority about Walt Whitman or Henry David Thoreau and uh, many other romantic writers such as William Wordsworth who merrily hiked across Switzerland and France and took long daily walks with his sister Dorothy Wordsworth Both loved the wild weather and enjoyed nothing quite as much as getting lost. George O'Keefe never went to a Zumba class. But she managed to keep moving across the Texas plains and New Mexico high desert. The places she called home for so many decades usually just walking, roaming. Like our artists and sages and outlaws have always done. Among her expeditions were several rafting trips down the Colorado, including a memorable river run through the now-lost Glen Canyon. Nan Shepard, author of that one single majestic book, The Living Mountain, ever rambling over the wilds of Scotland. Simone de Beauvoir, the great French philosopher and author, would often disappear for 30 mile strolls. 30 miles in a day through the countryside and over the mountains of France. Mary Hunter Austin and her haunting story called The Walking Woman well describes the old mystery of seeing one who is always walking in the distance, always passing through. Mrs. Walker, as the cowboys and sheep herders referred to her in the story, passing through mining camps and Indian villages like a ghost. Now, once does she purchase an internet-connected subscription-based exercise cycle? 
Here's how the Western journalist Kate Seiber describes Mary Hunter Austin doing what Mary Hunter Austin loved best. Austin traveled boldly across open country, often alone. She spirited through expanses of yucca, along dry riverbeds, and into the forests of the Sierra Nevada. She made friends with Spanish shepherds, Mexican and Chinese immigrants, miners, Shoshones, and Paiutes. It's the best time of year to walk, in the western U.S. anyway. So I hope you're doing that. This is our time. The only time we are alive. Every age has challenges, disasters, plagues, war, cruelty. seems to be cataclysmic end-of-the-world likelihoods and possibilities. But we have to live in our time and make the most of it. Looking back, most of our greatest revolutionaries, especially in the fields of ecology and environmentalism, have been cheerful and energetic souls. Think of John Muir, who witnessed the deforestation of much of America, yet found in this horror a cause to give his life a joyful direction in the face of adversity. Despair eats away at our souls. The most Orwellian thing we can do is wake up in the morning and say to ourselves, I wonder how the war is going today. 
and to then submerge our one and only soul in a miserable stew of internet content that is made to make us feel bad. What is the antidote for such despair? A lot of it's local. Local in terms of inside your head, what you're doing, where you live. There are community gardens that could use your hands and your attention. Local land trusts, volunteer groups who help with wildfire restoration and trail maintenance. People who go to the beach every weekend and collect trash. When you do rewarding things with other people, it works against not just the global despair, but the personal loneliness of feeling like others don't care. If the people around you right now don't care, find a group of people who do. We have a couple of swords dangling over our heads today, no doubt. The big ones, I bet you've heard of these, are the continuing threat of nuclear war and the ongoing crisis of rapid climate change. But our ancestors experienced worse, if you think about it. It was only about 10,000 years ago when the ice that covered most of the northern hemisphere was in retreat. And then as we recovered as a species, we helped drive the megafauna to extinction. It's always something. But... This is an important but. Climate change is not written in stone. There are undoubtedly losses today and in the coming decades, but Earth and nature are resilient. And the latest science, which gets far less attention than the doom scrolling, suggest a period of just three to five years of net zero carbon emissions can stabilize global temperatures. We've been fed a diet of climate doom for so long that it's difficult to apply to the limited years we have in this earthly form. If global temperatures aren't going to stabilize for another half century after we halt carbon exhaust, well... Sure, I won't be here. Although, who knows? Maybe I'll make it to 105. George O'Keefe lived to 98, after all. And she did not even have access to the mail order life extension supplements from Gwyneth Paltrow or Alex Jones. Three to five years nothing. That's a pandemic and a half. We've gone longer than that without haircuts. Or showers in some cases. When there's nothing but gloom and despair, then our climate scientists and environmentalists, may their non-God bless them all, keep vomiting up that same gloom and despair and then get even more depressed when people rationally run in the other direction. So let's try to get this into our heads. 
When we stop artificially pumping CO2 into the atmosphere, it's going to stop getting hotter. Just like that, three years, five years. People waste that much time on video games or going to Pilates. I've got stuff in the freezer that old. Maybe it's still good. If you're lucky enough to be a younger person, the rest of your life can be relatively normal. You're already used to more frequent wildfires, drought, more extreme weather, but the world is still beautiful and will remain so. And in the years and decades after things stabilize, after more of our planet's oceans and surface are protected so that life can thrive, after we all go to the gym and solar-powered drone pods with no windows, no, we don't have to do that last part. We can choose our future. It's just an unfortunate part of human nature evolved over millions of years with good reason that makes future danger less important than today's danger. But as the effects get so much more expensive and ugly for rich nations especially, so too does the response become quicker. Look how quickly the supposedly green government of Germany decided to go all in on renewable energy. Strangely, just a few months after going all in on a Russian natural gas pipeline. While emissions continue to rise today, an infrastructure is rapidly being constructed over this past dozen years or so especially. That finally makes uh, solutions possible to put into place worldwide. EVs are mainstream battery storage of renewable energy is replacing real-world oil-coal-burning power plants. Large governments around the world are embracing the 30 or 50% land conservation goals. And private companies are going faster than governments because there is tremendous money to be made in renewables and net-zero technology. Here's something about global shipping from just last month. Did not get much coverage on the doom scroll. Quote, Los Angeles and Shanghai have initiated a partnership of cities, ports, shipping companies, and cargo owners in China and the United States to create a first-of-its-kind green shipping corridor across the Pacific Ocean on one of the world's busiest container shipping routes. The... The port of Shanghai, which is the world's busiest port, and the port of Los Angeles, the world's 17th busiest, have set a joint goal to transition to zero-carbon-fueled ships by 2030. It's already 2022. Low-emission and zero-emission cargo ships are in production today. At the same One Ocean UN conference where the Green Corridors were announced, a French company called Energy Observer announced their liquid hydrogen cargo ship, which will be carrying cargo in three years and can replace one-third of the global shipping fleet. The hydrogen, of course, has to be produced with carbon-neutral energy, which, as Germany is suddenly realizing, 
can happen real quick when people set their minds to it. So the next time somebody tells you the world is ending and there's nothing anybody can do about it, run them off with a stick. It's a good form of cardiovascular activity for both of you. Be of good cheer. Do what you can without losing your mind over it. and across the great Mojave wilderness. This is Desert Oracle Radio, and I am your host, Ken Lane. You heard some new soundscapes tonight by Joshua Tree's own Red, Blue, Black, Silver. And you can find us online at desertoracle.com you can order whatever we have left to sell and support this show via patreon.com forward slash desert oracle and you can find all 150 plus episodes of this program from several of you who got out to Sema Dome in Mojave National Preserve to plant some baby Joshua trees where that big fire swept through more than a year ago now. And I have seen a lot of photographs of happy people up there doing the Lord's work, grinning in the cold wind, carrying the little Joshua trees to whatever chosen spots like little baby Yoda's. That's the way to defeat despair. Check with your local land trust or state park or national monument or whatever you got nearby. There's always something nearby. And see what you can do to give a hoot and etc. Our Desert Oracle Volume 1 paperback is available now at bookstores everywhere, especially in the American Southwest. Thanks for putting us on the California bestsellers list for I don't know how many weeks in a row now. Four, I think? And thank you for listening, friends. Friends. 